Welcome to the Lifestyle First podcast, discussing lifestyle medicine and making self-care as easy as one, two, three. One question, two research reviews, and three actionable health tips, all centered around the Lifestyle First method, your blueprint for the 10 key roots of optimal health and happiness. And now your host, lifestyle medicine physician and coach, Dr. Alka Patel. Hello and welcome to Series 6, Episode 8 of the Lifestyle First podcast. And the theme that we're focusing on today is L for learning habits. And the one question we're asking is, what is the best way to break a habit? And to answer that, I would like to introduce you to my guest today, who is Marco Badwell. Marco is a TEDx speaker with TEDxFS with his talk, The Science of Habits. And Marco, he graduated with a master's in cognitive neurobiology with honors from the University of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. And he also has a bachelor's in human life sciences with honors from Stellenbosch University in South Africa. And he's not stopping there. He's currently a final year medical student and a doctoral candidate at the Max Planck Institute for Cognitive and Brain Sciences in Leipzig in Germany. So welcome, welcome, Marco. I am delighted to be chatting to you today about one of my favorite, favorite subjects. Thank you, Dr. Patel. Thank you for the invitation. And I'm, yeah, really happy to be able to speak about this extremely, yeah, wide ranging topic. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so much that we could go into. So I wanted to kick off actually with the end of your TEDx talk, because you end your talk with the words, we are what we repeatedly do. So could you maybe just expand on this idea that what we repeatedly do becomes our habits and our habits then become part of our identity, right? Exactly. So I think if, if we really think about who we are, so the identity that we live, um, in the end, it is what we do every day, what we do in every minute of our days that makes up of who we are. And then in the end, we tell ourselves a story of who are we? What identity do we have? When someone asks you, like, who are you? What do you do? What is your life? You tell them a story of your identity and that is made up of what you have been doing for the past years. So I think we we live off the consequences of our habits and what we have been doing, we will most likely continue doing. So it's, it's a cycle of what we have been doing, we are. And we tell ourselves who we are, we continuously keep on doing. So I think it's, we can't overstate the importance of our habits, considering that it's like about 40 to 50% of our daily behaviors are considered habits. So it's a huge part of everybody's lives. Yeah, absolutely. And I like what you said there, which was something around, we are what we do and we do what we are. Um, And this is bringing me into the sort of realm of 
neuroplasticity um, and what's going on in the brain uh, when we are actually, as you say, doing these repeated actions that become our habits and actually mold who we are. We can actually mold our brains, can't we? And mold those connections um, in our brains. There was a, um, a paper which you kindly shared with me by Grabiel, which was a review um, in the journal Neuroscience, where they talk about exactly this and those areas in our brain in the basal ganglia, where we're making all those really dynamic um, connections all the time based on what we repeatedly do. So maybe you could share with us this idea of neuroplasticity um, and what is going on actually in the brain in relation to habits then. Yeah, um, I would be happy to. So the term neuroplasticity is part neuro, so kind of the neuroscience, the brain, everything that happens kind of up here, central nervous system. And plasticity means it's it's plastic. It can still kind of be shaped in a form. So I like to think of it like wax. Like when it's warm, you can actually shape it in a form. But as soon as it kind of gets colder, it's rigid and it can break. So what we want is we try to keep it warm. We try to maintain neuroplasticity. And there was that old myth that the brain is only plastic when we are young. So up to the age of like 16, 17, we can still shape our brains. And after that, it's very rigid. Like this is who we are and we will stay like that forever. But the last, I don't know, I would say 10, 20 years at least have shown us that no, there is always neuroplasticity. We can always kind of change the structure of our brains. And there have been several studies that have shown that whatever we do, like the habits that we continue doing, they will lead to certain yeah, neural changes in the brain eventually even. So you can actually structurally see it. And like in neuroscience, very often we use um, animal models to actually show on a cellular level what is happening because obviously you can't look in the human brain. That would be ethically, yeah, definitely not okay. So they looked in the brain of mice and they actually saw that when a mouse was learning like a maze, for example, learning it day after day after day after day, the neurons would reshape. The plasticity would actually lead to the mouse learning the maze. Mm. And like you said, the basal ganglia, which is like the more animal part of the brain, would take over control. So the, at the beginning, the mice would start consciously thinking about the maze. And then eventually the habit would sink into the basal ganglia where neuroplasticity would change the neurons and then the mouse would learn as a habit to just run through the maze. So we humans are also capable of that. Whatever we repeatedly do will eventually shape the structure of our neurons and how we fire together, how the neurons fire and yeah, how that ends up being the behavior that we do. It's fascinating, isn't it? So. You've talked about what we do and how we can, how we repeatedly do that changes those connections. What about if we flip it in the same way that we can deepen our connections by doing things we want to do then, can we actually loosen the connections by stopping doing the things we don't want to do? Because I know we talk a lot about making new habits, but breaking habits, habits that don't really serve us. Now there's probably so many of these, aren't there? If we stop and pause and think about habits that we have that don't really serve us that well, there's, I guess there's habits that take up your time, like scrolling on social media and binging on Netflix. There's habits that affect your health, like not sleeping well or drinking fizzy drinks. There's 
habits that affect your productivity, like procrastination or multitasking or even sitting at your desk all day, um, habits that affect your finances, like you leave the lights on, um, and even habits that affect others, like always being late or interrupting people. We do some of this, as you said, so habitually, but if we're conscious of it and want to change that and break habits, what is then the best way to break habits, Marco? So you mentioned a lot of very important things. I think it's important to start by defining what is good and what's bad for you. Because good and bad, there are like moral concepts. So for everybody, something good is something different than for the other person. So I think we, we need to start at what is beneficial for you and what is not beneficial for you. And who do you want to be? Which will bring us back to the identity question. So I'd like to start by what is the identity that you want to live? And based on that, you need to ask yourself, okay, what do I need to do to be that person? So in the end, that's a very core question that you need to ask yourself before defining, okay, what is good and what's bad for me? So who do you want to be? What's the identity that you want to live or that you already live? And then I like to take the next step, which is be aware. Like you said, you need to see what you actually do. The problem with habits is that it's kind of like a different self from the one that me and you are talking about right now. Like we are very conscious and aware of talking to each other, but habits, they are somewhere else. They are in the unconscious part of our brains and that's what habits are, but that makes it so difficult for us to see them. So the second part that is so important and also difficult sometimes is to see your habits. What I like to do is maybe take a journal and be very honest with myself. That's so important to be honest with yourself. Like you said, like procrastination and checking your phone and eating snacks or whatever it is, people like to make excuses. So before you can break a bad habit, you need to see it and you need to be honest with yourself. So take a journal, write down, what do I actually do with my time? What, are, what do I do all day? What are bad habits that I really don't like? Write them down. Um, what I found really helped me was meditation. So mindfulness is per definition, like a non-judgmental awareness of what happens around you, what your brain does, what is surrounding you, what's your conscious mind actually experiencing. So mindfulness can be this tool that allows you to actually observe, oh, wow, I'm going into this habitual automatic mode again. And then you can be like, okay, wait, I'm going to take a step back, write it down, and then actually take action on those bad habits. So the second step is actually seeing. The first one I would say is identity. Second one is seeing, being aware. And then then it actually gets a little tricky because bad habits, they have established themselves in your brain and they have structurally kind of been ingrained in there. They had at some point been rewarded. We have this dopamine, which we haven't yet talked about, but I'm sure some of your guests at least have heard of it. It's this neurotransmitter in the brain that actually triggers neuroplasticity and reward and your brain thinks more. So there's a book that's called uh, The Neurochemical of More and it's about dopamine. And dopamine just signals us more and more and more and bad habits, they have been in the past been rewarded by dopamine excess in the brain. So we need to break through that loop 
and that's it it gets tricky in the end but i think identity awareness and then we need certain tools that i'm more than happy to share yeah i think you're right absolutely spot on it's that the bad habits feel harder to break than perhaps sometimes the good habits are easier to create it can obviously vary with what you're uh, what you're trying to do but it is that these habits become very ingrained and part of you and there's existing your subconscious existence don't they um and i love the fact that you kind of highlighted well notice what those habits are have a bit of fun around you know discovering what it is that you do you know maybe lighten up a bit we tend to get really harsh with ourselves and it's like i've got to stop doing this i've got ease up like enjoy the discovery enjoy the exploration enjoy noticing that actually yeah i've done that four times this week every time i do mm -hmm. a i do b um and it's, that's the beginning isn't it that's when you can start to uh, start to break what doesn't serve you but only i think what you've described is only by tapping into your identity by recognizing first of all what's important to you and who is that person you want to be and why do you want to be uh, be different why do you want to make uh, make change so um absolutely love that but um yeah let's talk a little bit about uh, dopamine then as you've sort of uh, mentioned that we know we know when we talk about don't we the sort of uh, the habit loop i talk about it as the sort of three r's of reminder response and reward um and as you're saying that sort of dopamine hit is your reward but when you're trying to break a habit is there a way you can still get that dopamine hit by breaking certain areas of that 3r cycle yeah think? so only recently i actually read that very often especially bad habits they had been established way past like a long time ago and they really haven't been rewarded since, but since they were established so long ago and there was like a reward when you were young, like the example that was used was like smoking a cigarette. Like when you were a teenager and you wanted to be like rebellious and cool, you started smoking and the reward was to be cool, to be in a group. And since then it hasn't really been rewarded since, but it's still in there. Like the brain is kind of looking cue trigger response smoking. And there is no real reward anymore, but it's still in there. So it's like so deeply ingrained structurally that the brain just responds to cues all the time. So I think really often, more often than we think, there is no real reward in the end anymore. So it's, it's just in the brain, it's structurally in there. And the brain responds unconsciously all the time to some cue, some context, something in the environment. So I think that's makes habits especially dangerous because there is no obvious reward in the end anymore. I mean, we have this habit loop, like you said, that you have a cue, you have the response and you have the reward in the end. But I have found that also for my habits, I can't really see the reward anymore. It's, there is nothing obvious that I'm living where I would say, oh, that's really rewarding. It's not there, but I'm still acting habitually. So I think we need to attack more at the cues, the context where we do something. And then in the book from James Clear, Atomic Habits, he puts in a fourth block, which is like the craving, the urge that we try to satisfy by doing something. And I found that maybe the most important part in the habit loop. So we have a cue 
And that cue leads to a craving. And everybody, we all have different cravings within us. We crave to be part of a group, to be loved, to be successful. And the cue triggers a craving. And with the response, we try to satisfy that craving. So with the second part that I mentioned, the um, being aware, the seeing, the mindfulness, if we get better at that, we can see the cravings that we try to satisfy by going after a, a habit. And for me, I found, and also for my students, I found that starting to understand the cravings that actually trigger the habit can really help exchange a bad habit for a good one. Because very often the craving is really deep within us and it's often uncomfortable. We try to avoid looking for it. But if we don't accept it and see it, I think we, it's, it gets really, really tough to actually break a habit. So when you're talking about habits and talking about cravings, it's making me think about addiction. So what is that fine line between habits and addiction? Or are there really two ends of one spectrum? Is an addiction a deeper habit? What are your thoughts around that, particularly thinking about maybe some of the science of addiction science and habit science? What's going on? I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a spectrum. Like you said, it's, it's a fine line. Also with like social media today, I think a lot of people would actually like be considered addicted to their phones, to social media. Um, there is a very famous and good psychiatrist, Judson Brewer. He's at Brown University, I think now. And he published a book, The Craving Mind. And he studies a lot of people with smoking and eating disorders. And he uses mindfulness to treat their addictions. And I mean, when you look at the medical definition of, a, of an addiction, it's nothing else than doing something despite the fact that it's like pathological, like it really harms your physical well-being. Um, you start having a craving when you stop doing it. And the third one is I think you avoid everything else in your surrounding for that one thing that you're addicted to. And that is really extreme, but a lighter form, I think a lot of us would agree to when we look at our social media, our Netflix, um, video gaming, and sometimes for some people it's eating. Um, a lot of those things are I would say on the fine line between all pathological addiction and it's a very strong, strong habit. And there's so many modalities, so many ways to approach this as well. As you say, there's many areas in that, in that loop uh, that we can look at um, and the whole additional layer of the emotion that goes uh, behind that. Mm -hmm. as well. It's also our emotions that drive our habits and I think maybe I'm going to have to get you on on another day to talk about that element of it because that's a huge topic in yes. itself isn't it um, but what I would love to know before we kind of try and close things today is about your habits Marco the good oh, yeah. the bad and the ugly what are your life automations like so I think one of the best habits that I established about 10 years ago was meditation every single morning because there's also this um, domino effect, this um, buildup of good habits. So meditating in the morning is the first habit that builds onto 
or builds up to reading and then having a tea and then doing some yoga. So it's kind of this chain of good habits that builds my morning. Mm -hmm. There's that saying, you win the morning, you win the day. And I'm a very strong supporter of that. Also like checking a lot of people that check their phones right in the morning. And I'm like, get yourself an alarm, buy an alarm from Amazon for $4.99 and put your phone away. Um, I have actually bought myself like a, a safe that I lock with my phone. So it's a way to like 10 or 11 AM. Otherwise it's terrible. Like it's no good. So those are really good habits that have, I think they help me every single day. Um, bad ones. I'm, I'm bad with checking my phone sometimes. So when I actually should be doing focused work, when I have my phone with me, I check it for various reasons. Um, I have lately been really trying to understand my cravings behind it. So my emotional urge to check my phone, I would say, especially in Corona times, where we don't have social interactions so much. The phone is a substitution for actually having some sort of social interaction. So you grab the phone to see someone texted me. So that really takes me out of my working loop pretty often and I don't like it and I'm working on it more and more. Um, I do have the habit and I'm currently breaking it. I'm, I'm almost succeeding, I would say every day is that I watch Netflix while I eat like lunch or something. I put on a series and when I eat and I feel it like when I make lunch that I'm immediately putting up my iPad with Netflix, it's there and I don't really like it because it takes my my mind away from actually eating and taking a break. So those are things I'm working on. I'm, I'm aware of them. So step two is seeing I have achieved, but it's strong. Yeah. I love that. I love that you've been able to share that with us. Thank you so much, Marco. And, and also demonstrating the awareness. That is absolutely the first, uh, the first thing and you're aware. And therefore that's, that's the next step to, doing something different if you want to, because um, you've still got freedom to choose, haven't you? And now, here is your lifestyle first prescription. Your three activating actions to take you from knowing to doing. If you can just leave us then with three things that our readers, our listeners today uh, can do, three actions uh, for people to take. So the first one I would say is, change your environment so it actually serves your habits. And in the same sentence, don't underestimate the power of them. Like especially experts, they use all the tools they can get, like, like me using that safe to lock my phone away. You need that, like I need that. And other experts, absolute experts in habit formation need those tools. So use the tools for your benefit. Um, be honest with yourself. So. Just take a note, like every day for one week journal, what you really do with your time and be honest about it. And maybe also how long you spend on it and how you feel about it. Like, does it actually serve you? Is it in line with the identity that you claim to be or that you would like to be? And the third one is maybe get an accountability partner. So positive social pressure can move mountains. So if you get someone in line with your goals or tell someone about what you would like to do and how you would do it and be very concrete about it, I think that can really 
persist. So actually like doing something once or twice is not that hard, but having it persist over weeks and months and years, which is by definition a habit, that needs something more. That needs something always reminding yourself. Thank you for that. Those are three very, very practical actions. Um, as you said, if you take the action, the processes work, but you've got to be able to repeat them and repeat them. I love the last one about the accountability. I think that's so key and using accountability in a positive way. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, amazing. Thank you, Mark. I'm sure people are going to want to reach out to you, find out more about you. What is the best way to, to link in? With sure. You? Uh, just LinkedIn, Marco Badwall. And that's at this point, probably the best way to reach me. Just send me a message, send me an invitation and more than happy to chat again, share books, podcasts, ideas. I mean, there is very good literature out there. There are a lot of experts. Amazing. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you so much. I shall put your links up. I also would encourage everybody to listen to your TEDx talk as well. So I'll add that uh, link to the description as well, which now then brings this week's episode to a close. So thank you uh, so much, Marco. And uh for listeners today, of course, please do share this episode so that you're also able to help spread messages of health that matter. And now, of course, I simply wish you all a happy, healthy day. Thanks for joining us on the Lifestyle First podcast, making self-care as easy as one, two, three. Don't forget to subscribe and share. And we'd love it if you'd be kind enough to leave a review. To learn more or to arrange a consultation, please visit www.dralkapatel.com. See you next time.